When Jesus was in a certain city, he met a man with leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he fell on his face, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can make me well again. Jesus reached out and touched the man, saying, I am willing, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Jesus is alive today and is still healing those who come to him in faith. Join Pat Robertson. You'll discover the biblical principles that lead to experiencing the miraculous healing power of God in your life. Well, hello, this is Pat Robertson. I welcome you to this very special CBN presentation entitled, Be Healed. We have a wonderful audience with us, and I thank all of you for being here with us. You might give yourselves a hand just to get welcome. Thank you very much. And many of you who are watching this today may be in need of healing. In this special program, you're going to see some amazing miracle stories. And I'm going to answer a number of questions you may have had concerning healing. I'll tell you about what the Bible has to say. I'll tell you some firsthand accounts. And uh, I'm also introduced to you, my dear friend and 700 Club producer who I've known for years and years and years, whose wife just happens to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's his claim to fame, Scott Ross. <laughs> Thank you, right? Thank you, Pat. Good to be with you. Okay. I just came back from traversing the United States. What did you find out? I don't know if you want to hear this. <laughs> Whatever you got to say, as long as it isn't indecent. Okay. I was in, started out in Seattle, Washington, oh, yeah. and went to Washington, D.C., and uh, we're out in the rain talking to people for quite a few hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago. Man. Madison, Wisconsin. I come up with an unofficial survey among our crew and our producers, the people who traveled with me. About 70% of the people I talked to do not believe in a biblical God. What God do they believe in? We put together a sample of what we found across America. Let's take a look. <laughs> jumping from that. Do you believe in God? No. You don't believe in God? I am an atheist. It's just I don't even deal with it one way or another. I observe people's beliefs. It's fine. You know, whatever gets you through the night, that's cool with me. Listen, do you believe in God? Uh, yes. Do not- you? Yes. You're not sure? Like a higher power. Yeah. yeah. A higher power. A higher power. So, yeah. Do you believe in God? Uh, yes, I do believe in God. What do you believe? I believe in uh, Buddhism. Oh, Buddhism. Yes, sir. Okay, I was 13, and I thought, and I saw Harry Potter, and I thought I was a wizard. Really? Just because my mom was, like, all about that. What, what do you believe? I believe in spiritualism. I believe in karma quite a bit. I believe whatever you, you send out, negative energy, you get back ten times. We're all carbon-based beings in the same universe. So. Carbon-based being. That sounds awfully impersonal. I guess so. Do you believe in God at all? Um, I'm a spiritual person. Yeah? What does that mean? Um, I'm not sure if I believe in a God. Um, 
I believe in, um, again, I'm a spiritual person. I don't know if I necessarily believe in God. I wish more people asked themselves those kinds of questions. Uh, I do believe in like a higher calling, um, a greater... Uh, a greater force out there. Do you believe in God? You bet. Why do you say it like that? Well, uh, I think everybody should. Oh, yeah, well, we'll talk to people who don't. Well, that's, that's their choice, but <laughs> yeah. they're wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> do I believe in God? Yeah. Yes. Why? Why? Yeah. It's, it's been a long path. It didn't just uh, happen. I was very adamantly against the idea of God for a long time. Do you believe in God? Well... You know, I don't know that I uh, am a book God person, you know what I mean, in terms yeah. of man-made God. I think there probably is a God, but I don't think another, I don't think you've got all the answers or, oh, no. you know, or any other man does. All right, here's the, here's the question of the day. Do you believe in God? Um, yes, we are. We do. Why? Why? Because you have to believe in something. Yeah. So, do you believe in God? Yeah, but I don't know um, Which, how God is. Yeah. Um, it's important to believe in something, but I don't know what it is. But do you believe in God? I want to. I have questions. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What? The, an example of the kind of question you might ask God? You know, whether God exists or not. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think there's a creator. Um, I, I am Greek Orthodox. I was born and raised there. Oh. Um, um, and goes to church every I Sunday. I do go to church every Sunday, um, yeah. and I want to believe. I think yeah. I, I believe more in, like, the power of positive thinking. A personal God is, I think I myself is a God to myself. You're a God to yourself. my world, I am the, at the end, I rule my own world, so I'm a God of myself. I believe in God because... All right, I'm a computer programmer. I know how hard it is to design things. Right. I know that making something function is just debugging days, 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 days. And then I look around and I see this universe we live in and how complicated and insanely extreme it is, and I could never do this. No one around could ever do this, and I don't think Chance could ever do this. Wow. So, Interesting. Do you believe in Jesus? I do. Why? Um, because I've looked around at a lot of alternatives, and that one wins. Well, what we're trying to do here, Scott, is to tell people how they can access the power of the living God through Jesus Christ. That's, That's what, right. You know, That's and, right. And when they touch him, maybe they'll begin to believe. We hope so. Pat, it seems that all miracles begin with faith in God. What does that mean exactly? Have faith in God. If you look at Mark 11th chapter, that lays it out very clearly. Um, Jesus Christ... Uh, saw a fig tree that uh, was holding promise of having fruit. And the fig tree was representative of Israel. And he'd just been in the temple. And here was this magnificent display of religious uh, ornaments and costumes and ritual and no fruit. The same thing was true of this fig tree. And so he says, no man ever eat fruit from you again. And they went by and left it. Well, the next day they went coming off the Mount of Olives, going down into the t Kidron Valley and up into the Temple Mount. And uh, they passed by this little fig tree. And that little thing was absolutely uh, collapsed from the roots. It was dead from the roots all the way down, totally dead. 
And Peter said, Master, the fig tree you cursed is dead. And what he was actually, you could see that. I mean, come on, Peter, that's stupid. Uh, But what he was actually was asking a question like, how did you do it? And then Jesus gave the answer that we can have spelled out of how we can have healing and how we can have miracles. So what's the answer? Does it still happen today? Of course it does. Because he started out, Scott, he started saying, have faith in God. Okay. Now, when you read in the Old Testament, in an English language version, you will come across uh, four letters, L-O-R-D, Lord, and they'll be in caps. And you know, of course, what that is. That is the English for the Hebrew, but the Hebrew is Yahweh, or if you take the vowel pointings from the word Adonai, you get Yehovah, Jehovah. What is, is Yahweh? Translated in English means he who causes everything to be. That's what God's name is. He isn't some little dime store toy. He isn't some little deity that some Roman set up in a little crash someplace to worship. He is the one who caused everything to be. So Jesus said, you want to have miracles? You want to have healing? Have faith in the one who caused everything to be. That's what his name is. Our, our God isn't, isn't Allah. Our God isn't Baal. Our God isn't Milcom or some of these other deities. Our God is he who caused everything to be. So it's no big deal for God to heal a sick limb or to heal cancer. You know, if he can do all that, surely he can fix my cancer. (laughs) Okay, speaking of faith in God, I want you to meet a woman who had that kind of faith. Not only did she survive what could have been a fatal pregnancy, she saw an irreversible diagnosis reversed. When our oldest son, David, was four years old, we decided to have another child. We got pregnant right away with Ian. The pregnancy was full of complications. At the end of the pregnancy, we discovered that I had developed HELPS syndrome, which is uh, a disease that's fatal to the mother and the child. The child has to be delivered immediately. I was brought to the hospital, and Ian was born. He was born four weeks early. It was hard to believe that he was actually here, um, and he was so small too. You know, the nurse actually handed me this like bundle of clothes. It, I was kind of like wondering why she was doing that until I saw this tiny head in it. He did great in the hospital. We were there for four days, and on our way out, when we're being discharged, the nurse came in, you know, with the normal paperwork, and said, "By the way, he failed." Uh, his newborn hearing screening and she said we actually took three he failed each one of them so you're gonna have to bring him back to the children's hospital in a few weeks and have him retested four weeks later we made our appointment and we brought him back to CHKD uh, the children's hospital the audiologist started the test and um, before the test was finished he looked over at me and he said, I can already tell you that he's failed. It kind of it took my breath away. And I said, can you tell me what am I supposed to do now? And he said, because he's failed 
his newborn hearing screening and he's, he's failed this test, we now need to schedule a sedated ABR hearing test, which they will put him to sleep and they will perform several in-depth tests and we will get a good idea of what he can and cannot hear. So I called CHKD. They said, um, bring him in and we had to go in the morning. We're waiting in the room and I remember um, a lady came up to me. She said, are you Ian's mom? And she said, I need to talk to you for a minute. And she brought me to another room and she said, I'm the audiologist that performed the test and Ian is deaf. It was a big time of, of testing, uh, my faith and my wife's faith, and then us together, you know, as a husband and wife. And from the very beginning, I've always um, prayed with my children before they go to bed, always sing to them. And so now I'm thinking, oh, my word, he can't hear me when I comfort him, when he's crying. He can't hear mommy say, it's okay, I'm right here, mommy's right here. Dr. Troyer told me at the very beginning, Ian has sensory neural hearing loss, which is nerve damage. It's irreversible, it cannot be fixed. Something in me, I, I couldn't accept it. Uh, I knew that as his parents, we had to do everything humanly possible to give him every aspect of care that he needed to help him develop until he was healed. We spent a lot of time trying to to learn sign language and to learn how to have uh, a child with that type of disability. When they first put the hearing aids on Ian, my first immediate thought was, you know, what am I going to do now? Um, I, I'm not, I haven't ever had to experience anything like that before and didn't really know if I was equipped to do that. Now, instead of looking at my son and the miracle that he's alive, the first thing that people are going to see they're going to look right at his ears. They're going to see the hearing aids. They're going to look right at him instead of his eyes. And then they're going to pity him. I had everybody praying. I'm like, okay, Ian's going in for another hearing test. This is it. This is the time we're going to have it. I just know he's hearing differently. So every time we got a negative response, it was like hearing it all over again. They're confirming your son is deaf. So we now get up to his four-year checkup. And at every checkup, they do a hearing test. The audiologist came out and she kind of looked a little bit confused. And she said, I'm Mrs. Manso, I'm looking at Ian's test results. And from when he was born over the last four and a half years, and I'm showing that he was um, severely hearing impaired. And I said, yes. She said, um, and now he's not. She goes, um, I know that he has sensory neural hearing loss. I need to go speak with the doctor. And I was like, of course you do. Because she's confused. She doesn't understand. Sensory neural hearing loss is nerve damage. It's irreversible. It cannot be repaired. He got his miracle. God healed him. God took something that was impossible and made it possible. It was a four and a half year long journey. It was a progressive miracle. First words I said to Ian uh, after I knew he could actually hear me, 
was that I love you. You know, your daddy loves you. And uh, to actually see him, you know, look up and, and recognize that, yeah, it meant the world to me. I was born deaf, and then my ears got healed. Can never, ever, ever give up hope. We serve a miracle-working God. He is doing the same miracles today that he was in the Bible. He is healing blind eyes. He is healing deaf ears. He is giving people the gift of speech. We serve that miracle-working God, and it's not because I'm special. It's not because Ian's special. That's not why God healed him. It's because he's in the miracle-working business, and that gift is for everybody, every one of his children. We just saw Ian's mom say that God is doing the same miracles today that he did in the Bible, and I've got to tell you, I didn't hear a whole lot of that out on the streets. It's just like a, a whole generation that doesn't really know that this still happens today. That's why we're doing this. Does God still do the same miracles today as when Jesus walked the earth? And why do so many people think the time of miracles is over? Pat, why do, I mean, it's just like there's another Bible verse. Okay, okay generation that knew not the Lord. Listen. If we have a generation, not a generation, but since 1930, 1920, the church, the main established church has moved away from the fundamental belief in the Bible. And in the process, they've moved away from the, the authentication of the miraculous because you can't read the Bible without seeing miracles. The Bible's a book of miracles. Jesus Christ did miracles. It says it. But if you don't believe that's the Word of God, then you don't teach it. Right. And so these pastors are coming out and they're leading congregations. They can't bring people beyond where they have been themselves. And it's a tragedy, and hopefully it's getting corrected in some uh, quarters today because there's so many churches coming alive. With these mega churches. people believe in the power of God, but it hadn't spread through the general population as much as we want. Well, what about the Bible verse? And, you know, people are supposed to call for the elders of the church yeah. and to be prayed over, anointed with oil, any sins are forgiven, and if they're sick, they're healed. That's what it says. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's what it says. So, we're, I mean, CBN for years has given out Bibles. Well, CBN, we believe in the power of God. Scott, we've had, I don't want to overstate it, at least 95 million requests for prayer. 95 million. Maybe more. It may have crossed 100 million now. But these are people who've called and asked for prayer. So there are people in this country who believe very much in prayer. They believe very much that God answers prayer. And... Uh, Regardless of what the church is teaching, but you know, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you and given to those who bring forth the fruits thereof. He was talking to the Jews, right? He was talking to the Jews. When I first started here at CBN 50, 60 years ago, whatever, uh, the big man on the street was the National Council of Churches in Riverside Drive in New York City, you know? Yeah. They were the big cheese. They ran the show. Well, they didn't believe in the power of God. I was up there recently, and 
they were occupying, I think, about three offices in this great big structure, and it was being taken over by others. And their budget is has shrunk to virtually nothing. And the the power of that group now used to have, isn't there any longer, the kingdom of God was taken away from them and given to those. So you have these wonderful churches springing up, people who believe in God, and the, the, uh, the fastest growing expression of that happens to be the Pentecostal church, the charismatic churches. 600 million people around the world is the fastest growing expression of religion in the world. Why? Because God is anointing. So God hasn't stopped healing. And the people who believe in healing are seeing it. It's not just healing, it's miracles. It's the whole expression of the miraculous that we're seeing today. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Back then, if you're talking 50s, 60s, mm. why did you apprehend faith uh, to, to believe when so many people didn't. I mean, you, you're, you're out on the edge and, and, and praying for the sick. You, can you remember the first time that it happened? I, I, oh, yeah. So I, I remember the first time I, I was on television. I had a word of knowledge. I mean, I thought the ground was going to go up. I was in front of a television camera, and all of a sudden, God's telling me somebody's getting healed. And uh, it's kind of amusing. I think it's, it's funny uh, because I was on in front of a television camera in this little tiny studio, one camera pointing at me, and I'm talking to a rather limited audience, but I was talking to somebody. And all of a sudden, I started smelling peanut butter. And I could taste peanut butter, and it was peanut butter all around me. So I, I'm praying, I'm said. I believe that there's somebody involved in peanut butter. <laughs> and you've got cancer and God's healing you. Well, it just so happened in the city of Portsmouth, Virginia, a woman was in her kitchen and she had dropped a jar of peanut butter on the floor of her kitchen and it broke. And so there's peanut butter on her floor. She's on her hands and knees watching the TV and she's on her hands and knees cleaning up the peanut butter. Well, she had the condition that I described, and God healed her mm. in the middle of the peanut butter. <laughs> so, but that's, you know, that's what God does. It was sort of funny. I mean, the Lord's got an incredible sense of humor. But you say, how did I do it? Well, we just always walked in the power of God. I, I had been trained in that in, in, in my own way. I had sought God. I had cried out to God. I'd asked God for revelation, and he had met me. And he met me in the, in the Bible and in the miraculous. We'll come back to the word of knowledge thing a little while. Now we're going to meet a woman who woke up screaming that she was on fire. And the doctors told her there was no cure for the disease she had contracted. So she went to a higher authority. I was saying, I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm burning. Early one morning, Millie Tyler woke up in excruciating pain. It felt like someone had doused my feet with gasoline and set them on fire. My husband was awakened by my screams. When I looked at her feet, it was just very surprising uh, how it could go from, uh, I'll call it, normal-looking feet one night, and then the next morning, tremendously red, and it looked like fire. Doctors told Millie she had a rare and incurable disease. Erythromelalgia is a disorder of the blood vessels where you have little uh, sodium chains inside of you that 
the blood can go in and can't go out and it, there's no cure for erythromelalgia. But I knew that nothing was too big for my God, that he can heal anything. While sitting in church one day, Millie says she read a passage in the Bible that strengthened her faith. My eyes fell right on this verse that said, I have called you by name, you are mine. And it's in Isaiah 43, and it said, When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God. And I knew that that promise was for me. A year later, she was still in pain, and it had gotten worse. About that time, she called CBN to make a donation. Afterwards, the prayer counselor asked Millie if she could pray for her. And I said, well, yes, I've been having a difficult time sleeping at night because of the pain of erythromelalgia. We prayed, and that night, I went to sleep, and I slept the whole night through. And when, in the morning when I woke up, my feet didn't hurt. And I got out of bed and I started to walk, and my ankles didn't hurt. And I knew that something miraculous had happened to me. It's like the nightmare of erythromelalgia never happened to me in the first place. I have absolutely no symptoms. It is just a phenomenal thing that it happened, and God's the only one that can heal it. God is always faithful to his promises. If we hang on and we don't give up, now you can hold the Bible up to him and say, you said this, and the Bible says you're not a liar. And you said this, so I know that you're going to come through because you're faithful. Pat, this woman has a Bible in her hand, and she's like waving it under God's yeah. nose, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. And she said, you said it. You said it. It's right here. It's written down. Is that the right attitude to approach God? Listen, God talks about uh, assaulting heaven. Give him no rest till he made Jerusalem a praise in the earth. You know, there's a guy named Frank Folio. I don't know if you remember Frank. He used to be in the full gospel business. He's a wonderful man. And uh, he wrote about his little mother, little Italian lady. And uh, she's very hospitable, but she had no money, no food. She had this big crowd of people came out for lunch. And all she had was a little stick of spaghetti. So she goes into the kitchen, gets a great big pot, puts it on the fire, throws a little salt in there, and throws this little bunch of spaghetti in. Then she takes her Bible, opens it up, and says, Hey, God! <laughs> and, and said, You sit here, you'll feed people. Here, you know, give me some food. Hey, God! And the, the, the spaghetti began to multiply and multiply, and she fed the whole group that was there, gave them all they could possibly eat. The came just kept growing and growing. God loves faith like that. He loves it. It's beginning to sound like a cooking show between peanut butter and spaghetti. Well, maybe I didn't have enough lunch. Go ahead. <laughs> I met a man in Seattle who got very specific with God about his open-heart surgery. He used the phrase we hear from time to time, and Pat, let's just... Watch this, and then I want you to tell us if there's some really special power 
in these familiar words. Do you believe in God? Absolutely. Well, that's pretty strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you ever come through anything physically, mentally, spiritually that needed keyword healing? Well, I've had I've had several experiences in my life. Of course, you know, about, uh, four years ago I had open heart surgery. Wow. And uh, I had a valve repair. Right. Uh, and uh, I came through that with God's blessing. Really? Was it difficult? Well, I'd say this: when you uh, when you face eternity, uh, you're, you're there, looking at your life and saying, "Am I okay?" Yeah. And uh, I had some some real experiences, and and basically, I, I claimed the blood of Christ as I went under the knife. Really? And uh, what does that mean? Certainly, it means it means that we're saved, but there's there's such power in the blood, and. Uh, even when I pray at night, uh, I'm saying, God, I claim the blood for my family, for my friends. and uh, So the, the blood is, uh, in biblical terms, it is atonement. And there's healing in that. Yes, there is. There's power and there's healing. Yeah. But the power really comes for the, for the power of love. But I would say it comes from just as much from the power of healing as well. Yeah. And did, did it change you? going through this process? Well, uh, I had some experiences years and years ago that, that allowed me to claim this blood over time on a continual basis, and I think my life has changed forever because of it. Yeah. And you're a better person? Well, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I'd say this. I'd say uh, I claim the blood on that as well. Yeah, right. You really stand with that blood, blood, blood. I do. Why? Uh, well, it's 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 because it's uh, I know the reality of Christ yeah. and the the suffering of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ is is, is everything to me. Mm. So healing is something that everyone should expect. Well, I I'd say uh, if you claim Christ as your Savior, as and you claim the the power of of Christ through His blood, uh, I'd say yes. You know. We're all going to be healed in different ways, some yeah. not physically, but certainly all of us spiritually. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, thank you. Now, this man used the phrase that uh, I don't want to say it's just Christianese language, mm-hmm. but he pleaded the blood of Jesus over his surgery, his surgeon, and everyone else. We hear people use that term a lot. What, what, what's, what does that mean, the blood of Jesus over various things? You know, I, I got another, there was a, a lady who was the wife of a very, very prominent uh, uh, television executive. And she heard me talking one night. She was watching about two in the morning. And she said, I, w- I said, I want you to stand on the word. So she got the Bible, put it on the floor, took her high heels off and stood on it. <laughs> so God filled her with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's the same thing with the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? It means that his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, what we're saying is that is my authority to ask for healing. By his stripes, I am healed. By his blood, I am set free from the curse of the law. 
He has redeemed me from the curse of the Lord by his blood. And so it, it is the sacrifice of Jesus. So you say, I plead the blood. What we're saying is that is my access into the power of the Holy Spirit. I enter into the throne room of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. And it, But this isn't voodoo. I mean, it's, it's not smart to talk about, uh, you know, little phrases and catchphrases. You know, there, there were people, uh, these Gnostics, who thought, okay, I, I'm going up to heaven, and I've got to meet an, a, a, a creature, and I've got to identify him by name. And if I can name him, then I can go up one step higher, and i got to name the next one, and I go up one step higher. That's Gnosticism. I know the names of these people. We don't believe in superstition. This isn't superstition. It's the power of God. But these things have something underneath it. Well, our words do have power. And I want you now to meet a woman who understood this and stood between her husband and death. He had one aneurysm, and the doctors gave him a 50% chance to survive. Then he had a second explosion in his brain. The doctors knew he was a dead man. Pritchard Adams served as a missionary to Haiti for 28 years. He was visiting Canada the morning he felt a pain so severe in his head that he collapsed to the bathroom floor. By the time paramedics arrived, his condition had gotten worse. Pritt grabbed the back of his neck and his eyes just glazed over and he went unconscious. And they immediately put the oxygen mask on him and whisked him away. In the emergency room, doctors discovered a subarachnoid hemorrhage. An artery at the base of his skull had burst, filling the space between his skull and the thin membrane covering the brain. Nearly half of all people with a ruptured brain aneurysm die, and those who survive likely have severe brain damage. They had to put a drain in his head to draw the, the blood out of his head, and he just had tubes from, coming out from everywhere. When I saw the look on the doctor's face and, and heard the report of the aneurysm that there were few survivors that uh, survived a brain aneurysm. I knew that things were very, very grave. Doctors performed surgery to stop the bleeding, but Pritt had already slipped into a coma. They didn't expect him to live through the night. By this time, people around the globe were praying and fasting for Pritt's recovery. We just immediately started to pray and decided that we would let the medical community do their job and that we would do the thing that we knew how to do best and that was to stand by his bed. Pritt survived, but not without complications. His blood pressure soared and he developed pneumonia and an infection. Doctors warned Dana that if Pritt had a second aneurysm that he would not survive. Two days later he went into cardiac arrest and he had a second artery explode in his head. Call the code, get a crash car, and need I knew now. at that moment that we Pritt was slipping out of my hands and that if God did not intervene, we were going to lose him. And immediately I stood by his bed and I started rebuking the spirit of death. And I said, no, you cannot come here. You have no authority in this place. And I just began to declare life, Pritt, life, live, Pritt, live. Doctors resuscitated Pritt and began to prep him for the surgery to repair the second artery that had burst. 
But before they could operate, something changed. The neurosurgeon came in and he shook his head and he said, Mrs. Adams, your husband is a perplexity to us. Three times now he has skirted death. We were getting ready, prepping him to take him in to do brain surgery to find out where the hemorrhaging was coming from. And an hour ago, he started to improve. We do not understand. And all we can do right now is just say that we will follow his progress. Doctors were not optimistic about his full recovery. CAT scans showed the speech and motor areas of Pritt's brain were badly damaged and that he would have permanent and severe neurological impairment. He got very, very tired and wept and wondered how long this trial was going to last. But I always believed that God was going to somehow heal my husband. Dana's faith never wavered. She reminded God of his promise to take care of them. And you said in the day of adversity that I could call on you. And today is a day of adversity. I need you and I need you now because there is no hope. There is no way my husband's going to come out of this unless you give me a miracle, Lord. On July 27th, 23 days after the first aneurysm, Pritt woke up and a few days later, he started to speak. We prayed that he would start talking. When he started talking, he wouldn't stop. After 52 days in the hospital, Pritt left in good condition. Today, Pritt has fully recovered except for some short-term memory loss. He walks two miles a day and is looking forward to going back to minister in Haiti. I'm more thankful than ever for my wife and for my children, for my family, for the spiritual family that we have in Haiti, the churches that we have, the believers that we have. I'm thankful for every moment now, for every minute that we have, and more than ever before. I'm grateful that I have my husband back. I'm grateful that I have the father of my children back, my lifelong partner, my soulmate, my best friend. I would encourage whoever received a report that contained no hope for them to take that report to the Lord. Prayer and the Word of God is greater than anything that they can face. This woman had authority. I mean, she spoke very strongly about what she believed yeah. to this man and to everyone standing around, doctors, nurses, everyone. Now, God has authority. Yes. But does he impart authority then to believers? Here's the way it works, God. If we only, it's so simple if we only understand it. God, the Father, is the creative mind, and he thinks of something. So he saw that man. Jesus said, the Father's working, and I work. So Jesus looked up to heaven, saw what the Father was doing, and he declared it. So that woman, kind of unbeknownst to her, tapped into what the Father's creative mind was thinking, I am going to heal that man. Now... The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, was then active to activate the thought of the Father, and that was communicated to the spirit of that woman. Now, that's the way miracles take place. Mind of God, spirit of God, spirit of man. So 
Now, her spirit is unified with the Spirit of God. She is agreeing with Him. You know, if two of you on earth agree is touching anything, she has agreed with the Father. Then what happens is the Spirit then communicates with your mind. And the mind in turn activates the mouth, and the mouth speaks to the the material world around you. So she sensed the moving of the Spirit of God that had been activated by the mind of God had merged in with her spirit. Now, she wasn't thinking about this. It just happened instantaneously, but that's the way it works. And then her mind began to say, I am going to see you stand up. And so the, the, the mouth was speaking, but she was speaking in the authority that God had given her by his spirit. So she had the same authority that was present when God said, let there be light and there was light. Let the earth come forth and it came forth. She was speaking the creative word of God Almighty. Now, that's how you pray. She then spoke to the spirit, spoke to her husband, spoke to the death angel, spoke to the disease, and it obeyed her. And that's what Jesus said. When you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, don't doubt in your heart, uh, it'll do what you say. But you, you don't doubt. She had no doubt in her mind. She was desperate. And there has to be a sense of desperation, importunate prayer. I'm desperate. I've got to have it. When you start praying that way, you start getting answers. I believe, therefore I spoke. That's it. 